0: Did the elite eat social justice? Have they had justice for a snack? Find out in today's episode of The Compass of Power. It's Adam Wilson. This is the Compass of Power, where we say place is politics. And I like to take a regional cultural perspective, look at the differences between the North and the South, the various bits and bobs of the United States, how we view things differently, and use that to explain some of our national politics. And today, I want to talk a little bit about How Elites Ate the Social Justice Movement, which is the title of a new book out, and uh, I did not get an advanced copy. You'll be be sad to learn. Um, Instead, this came across my desk through the New York Times uh, newsletter uh, written by David Leonhardt. And he said, you know, it leads off with, good morning, we're asking why recent progressive movements have been disappointing. He uses that to talk about how elites ate the social justice, justice movement. A book by uh, Frederick de Boer, also known as Freddie de Boer. The argument is that certain social justice movements of recent memory, like Black Lives Matter, like Me Too, like Occupy Wall Street, were co opted by elites and no longer speak to the uh, mainstream. That is, like, although they got a lot of play, they were very popular, uh, and at least they got a lot of coverage, if that makes them popular. Uh, But then, you know, as Leonhardt uh, observes, Congress has not passed any major laws to reduce economic, gender, or racial equality, such as a wealth tax, universal pre-K, or nationwide police reforms. Instead, taxes on the affluent are near their lowest levels in decades, and the number of killings by police remains largely unchanged. And he quotes DeBoer in his book saying, quote, The term reckoning was invoked again and again, yet we don't seem to have reckoned with any of our problems in any meaningful way. Let me explain this to you. Uh, And maybe the the best way to start with this is another quote from Leonhardt, because this is going to help us break it down really quickly. Um, Here's another quote from Leonhardt. Movements also bear some responsibility for their disappointments. Above all, they made decisions geared more toward changing elite segments of American society, like academia, Hollywood, and the national media, than toward passing new laws and changing most people's lives. No doubt, academia, Hollywood, and the national media are elite segments of the larger American society, but they are also elite segments of the North. So let's take them one by one. Academia. Academia is driven by New England, what we call here Yankeedom, the Puritans, the folks who landed in Massachusetts. That region has a culture that prizes literacy and uh, a certain kind of academic rigor. That is, they believed that if you're going to get into heaven, you had to be your own personal priest. You couldn't just let the guy with the fancy robe go up to the lectern and tell you what the Bible meant. You had to read it. You had to analyze it, write a book report. You had to know it for yourself. And our most elite institutions, particularly in the Ivy League, Yale and Harvard, I mention all the time, and look at the Supreme Court to understand how important Yale and Harvard are, uh, those were founded to train Puritan ministers. That is the backbone of American academia. And our public school system down to K, when they talked about, hey, where's the pre-K in that article, well... The public school system in the United States is based on the common school system that uh, the Puritans developed in New England. And it literally had to be forced on the rest of the country after the Civil War. I mean, other parts of the country obviously had education, but the model where it's sort of compulsory and it starts early and you have to go through it and the path to any kind of good life is through more and more and more education, that is a Yankee idea. So that's, you know... um, when we say oh well they've captured academia here's here's where my argument's going folks of course they did because it's an elite movement to start with um that part of the country the yankee part of the country is very prone to sort of moral justice movements they always have been they get it goes back to that religious background and they decide something's wrong and it has to change and that's been part of New England culture since it got going. So to say that something like Me Too or Occupy Wall Street was somehow captured by the elites in Massachusetts is crazy because the elites are on board from day one. They, You know, it, they are behind it. it. It was an elite thing to begin with. And we're going to explain why people might get confused about that a little bit more. But just put that in your mind. Uh, it's not that... These social justice movements were consumed by an evil elite that somehow wanted to stop them or ground, or just like turn them the wrong way. It's that that sort of movement is inseparable from the upper class in the northern United States. The other thing mentioned, Hollywood. Hollywood is actually in Southern California, and if we're going to look at an American Nations map, which we do every week, it would be, I believe it's in El Norte, it would be—it would not line up the way you think it is, except for that Hollywood, that very specific part of the Los Angeles area near Burbank was founded entirely by folks from uh, New York's theater district. So it is actually a branch of New York very specifically the film industry. I'm not saying like all of LA, I'm not saying like East LA is a branch of the Bronx. I'm saying that Hollywood, that industry, which literally like settled an unsettled area of of, uh, California, pushed away the orange groves and started making movies. That is a branch of New York city culture. New York city was founded by the Dutch. It's the new Netherlands on our map. And they are related to, they have a certain kinship with the Yankees, but they are different. And that they are not as prone to moral crusades. They are more prone towards favoring freedom of speech and freedom of profit. They really like to make a buck. Uh, They want everyone to be able to conduct their business and not have anybody use these moral arguments to shut down their business. They want everybody to say that, hey, I'm walking here, to quote Midnight Cowboy, which is an intense movie. Um... They want to see what they think. They want to do what they want to do. It is a little different from saying, we must make the world a better place starting today, and we're going to do that by you falling in line. And finally, the national media. Look up, this is the third uh, segment of elite American society mentioned by the New York Times, and it is based in, guess what, New York City, just like the New York Times itself, which is itself an elite piece of the media. All of the major networks, all of the major TV studios, all of the major publishing houses, are based in New York City, like literally blocks from each other. So that's New York again. So you can't say that anything that was super interesting to either academia, Hollywood, or the national media was somehow uh, a revolt of the common people. They were interested because it already spoke to the morals and beliefs of the elite ruling class of the Northern United States. That's what we say here they just they have a a certain affinity for it, so de Boer is a leftist if he the guy that wrote the book. If you think of American politics as a spectrum from left to right, which I do not think is particularly helpful, but we're going to use it because that's how everybody talks about it, then de Boer is way left I mean he is a outspoken Mark, marxist, as I understand it, I mean a communist, like not. A socialist like Bernie Sanders, but a straight-up Marxist, and that's why he's upset. Because Marxists, you know, <laughs> I'm at least familiar with their uh, their certain tenets of their belief, and the big one is that the people, the proletariat, the masses, need to rise up and seize control of society. That they're being held down by the elite. Uh, that they are, in fact, the people who create the wealth, but they aren't the people who end up with the wealth. So someone like Deboer. Uh, who, surprise, is from Massachusetts. Given that he has a pretty specific ideological bent, and, you know, it's not totally incompatible with being a Yankee. I mean, you're going to find more folks who are Marxists and Yankees, I think, than you are going to find Marxists and, say, from the Deep South. But it's a very, you know, he's clearly thought about what he believes politically and is a little bit more refined than most folks. So, He's hoping that you're going to have a class-based or at least a class-wide, all classes together, kind of like improvement of society. And that is not going to happen now or ever. My prediction here. Sorry, Marxists everywhere, but it's just, it's not going to happen because in the United States, it is not a matter of um, the working class being united together. It is a matter of these different regions. So if you're points are more or less in alignment with the elites of the north then guess who's going to be in opposition forever and always the elites of the south if you look at cultural regions like tidewater and the deep south and appalachia to a large degree um The Far West, which is really just the dry West. But the point is there is this other coalition that we all know without looking at a map, but just know in our hearts that there's like kind of a different feeling in the West and the South than there is in the North and the East or on the West Coast. Well, that different feeling means that the elites down there are not going to go along with your uh, movements like Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street or the Me Too movement. Not that they are now, not that every single elite in the South is totally opposed to every concept therein. just largely speaking. We're talking continental scale here, people. You're just going to have a, a polarization between the ruling class of the South saying that's nothing because the ruling class of the North said it's something. And if the ruling class of the North says it's something, then of course it's going to be all over uh, TV, it's going to be in our movies, and it's going to be in our classrooms because those are areas of our society where the North has the upper hand. So let's look at this from a little, so that that explains like, uh, sorry, Deboer, that's, I know that you really want the revolution to come, but it will not because in fact, the revolutionary principles belong to the, uh, the bourgeoisie in the North. We could look at it a little differently because there's also, uh, got a newsletter from Andrew Sullivan who is, I mean, this gives you a sense of like what I consume, like he would be on the right side if you had the spectrum right on what I read, because he's kind of a conservative, but he's like these David Brooks conservatives who are intellectuals without a home, right? Because if the academia and the intellectual set are firmly in the North and they are left, getting farther left all the time, then where do these folks go? They're not, you know, and they definitely have problems with the Republican party. Why? Because it's mostly run by folks from like the South who are not necessarily uh, these folks, um, soulmates. So anyway, Sullivan, who is British by birth, by the way, but lives now in Massachusetts, I think, uh, was really upset with something that happened to, uh, Coleman Hughes, who I've spoken of before. I'm a real admirer of Coleman Hughes. He's a thinker, a philosopher, uh, and he's kind of made a name for himself because he does not go along with that orthodox thinking that you have in most of the North. He, by the way, is from New York City, so he doesn't feel like he has to go along, which, you know, he would not be from Boston and be this way, but in New York City, you can be, like, liberal and then also get agitated with your fellow liberals. And Sullivan... Uh, wrote a newsletter that was called "Could MLK Give a TED Talk Today," which is a good, good title. But what he was fired up about was that Coleman Hughes tried to give a speech in favor of a colorblind doctrine. That is, that in a multicultural society, in a multiracial society, that the government should not treat people by race, that it needs to treat people as individuals, and that this might apply to our personal lives too, that we're better off dealing with people as individuals than treating them as representatives of larger classes of races. Um, And this is, of course, uh, famously the view espoused by Martin Luther King Jr., but when Coleman Hughes tried to give a TED Talk on this subject, he was invited to give it in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, which, by the way, is part of the same cultural region as Seattle, Portland, San Francisco. Um, he was invited to go there. He felt like it went really well. Uh, but then folks inside the TED Talk empire, people who worked there, really did not like this point of view. And they began fighting a rearguard action to keep... The TED Talk Empire from publishing Coleman Hughes' talk on the value of a colorblind approach, colorblind public policy, and as Hughes will point out, and he wrote a a, a nice article on the whole his whole experience. He did a podcast that's essentially him reading the article, explaining what happened to him. So you can listen to that and get it from straight from his mouth. But essentially. Folks within TED Talk didn't want that, uh, didn't want his TED Talk to get out. Although it was popular, although they asked him to come, they fact-checked him, they approved the whole thing. Once he got out there and got a good response, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to have this kind of stuff spread out. We want color-conscious policy. We want race-conscious policy. And this guy's dangerous. And I mean, they had like a social scientist Right in named Adam Grant telling TED Talk not to let it go because it flies in the face of social science, which Coleman Hughes read the, article, the study the guy cited and felt like, well, no, actually this supports my argument that being colorblind reduces prejudice. But anyway, Hughes certainly went through the ringer just trying to say something that was out of step with that northern elite orthodoxy. And why would that be? Well, because he was at the intersection between academia and media that is TED Talk, right? Like they're supposed to be giving avant-garde talks about brilliant new insights and ways of seeing the world and don't you want to think like me? And so to be a thought leader, literally that's their job, right? Is they're kind of like packaging up thought leadership like it was little Rice Krispie Street and handing out and selling it to people. Well, they don't want to sell something that flies in the face of like basically their religious beliefs. Uh, go back to that Puritan ethos. This is not just a good thing that might you might want to try. This is this education isn't just nice, which is where the people like in the Midlands would feel, middle America would be like, well, oh, it's nice if you want to get educated, but if you don't, you don't have to. No, in the North, you believe because your soul is on the line. And so these people felt like their soul was on the line and they had to stand against Colin Hughes. And that triggers Andrew Sullivan to be like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy that... Uh, wokeism as it's called had gone so far and let me bring it home i mean again i think we've explained that this is not again like oh the the movement of the working class is being held down this these <laughs> ted talk is a big business and the new york times is big business and they are on board with these movements were in the beginning and that's why they melded together. They weren't eaten. They just sort of started running a race together. And eventually it was one or the other dragging the other along. But they, at no point, I shouldn't say at no point, I'm sure at some point they were really heartfelt, ground up movements with good goals. I'm not saying I disagree with any of the goals of those movements I mentioned. I'm just saying that by their nature, they played right into uh, the beliefs and norms and expectations of the elite culture in the North. So that's why they were consumed, Mr. DeBoer. That's why Coleman Hughes couldn't get a hearing at Ted talk. And he actually was forced to debate uh, a liberal black columnist because Coleman Hughes is a black man. So like, we're going to find a black man that disagrees with you and says, you're terrible. And you have to debate him in order for us to release your thing. So he did it, you know, credit to Coleman Hughes. Um, But this is important. And I would agree with Sullivan to this extent that his point on getting so agitated about that and other things is that it has the beliefs of those elites in places like academia or um, Hollywood, you know, in the media, they can have real impacts on our lives. And I actually was startled to see a, a stat cited by Sullivan that actually does hold up. This is true. I saw the article in Bloomberg, but only 6% of jobs of corporate hiring. So corporate hiring 2021, only 6% of jobs that you're, went to whites, while 94% went to people of color. So in the aftermath of uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, the George Floyd killing and everyone was feeling like we have to change the racial narrative in the United States, well, the elites were 100% on board, it would appear, because it turned out that corporate hiring took a 180-degree turn and just started hiring virtually only people of color. And that is startling to me. It's startling that it's that stark. um, And it's startling as a reminder that like, these aren't just like slow, steady progress. We're going to, we need to change things or we're never going to get there because we're moving too slowly. It shows that when the elites, the people at the top want something to happen, It can really happen. It can happen fast. Like we actually, all of us down here in the middle and the bottom, do answer to the people on top because when they want things to happen, they can institute policies that make them happen very quickly. Um, Which, you know, so if you're asking yourself, you know, if you're a DeBoer who is like very frustrated that the social justice movements have been eaten by the elites, the answer is because there's some part of it in the elites that they don't like. Like they're not gonna you know it's not going to be the marxist revolution uh because at some point that becomes threatening to the people who really drive the train which is you know it's interesting to think about and again like none of this is to speak to the value of those underlying things like uh that women's rights are important that black lives really do matter and there is a clear history of uh, disproportionate violence in the black community in the united states And Wall Street has way too much power, which we're talking about right now. Uh, Those can all be true, but that does not in any way influence the elite commoner paradigm, which is that in the North, the Democrats are the dominant party, and they have certain beliefs, and they have them to a religious degree in a lot of areas. And that is all part of the culture of those areas. And in the South, you're going to find the elites have very conservative positions, and that also goes all the way back. And they're not going to change their minds either. So yeah, we won't get into things too much, but this is where Ron DeSantis is coming from. Like Ron DeSantis is a very elite person. He's very highly educated. He's uh governor of the th- is it the third? Yes, third most populous state in the Union, Florida. Um, and he is bread and butter is battling every single academic uh idea put forth by this same sort of group right like if if if, um it wasn't occupy wall street but you know tomorrow it was um carbon pricing on everything always he would like discount like the more carbon (laughs) you had to spend to get something he would be like well it's even cheaper now we will subsidize that carbon because that's how we fight these people that's just the dynamic in the united states okay i hope that was useful just thought we could look at some of this uh fighting on the what we would think of as the far left side of the spectrum, I would say just the far north side of the spectrum, um, and see that it's it's viewed in ways that aren't really helpful to the people making the arguments, in my opinion. In my opinion, they'd be better off saying, wow, uh, you know, how do I work with the elites to get this done? Or if I don't want the elites to take it over, what kind of position do I have to stake out that they're not going to just, like, glom onto? Which is an interesting thought exercise. If you're out there, people... Think of something that would be progressive-ish, right? Better world for all of us through possible, you know, possibly using the power of government, but, you know, better for all, um, but would be antithetical to the powers that be right now. I'm sure you could think of some things. All right. We'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening. Please leave me a review or subscribe or do something that in some way validates the time I spend sitting here and talking into this microphone. See you later.